Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? Well, finally, I am ready. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go to Los Angeles. Oh, L.A. <clears throat> With a suspicious femme fatale, bankrolling his snooping, Jake Giddies uncovered intricate dealings with the 1937 Los Angeles Waterworks. Now, Waterworks seems to me to be like boring, but oh, it wasn't. No. We are doing the 1974 Chinatown. <clears throat> Please. Chinatown. This was released on June 20th, 1974. It's as June you said, what? Tell me that again. June 20th, 1974. Uh, you were in college. I was um, doing my student teaching in special education the summer portion. Everybody uh, else except for special education people in my group had already graduated. Poppy had graduated, but I had to do the summer session to get my special ed. So the, they made the special ed teachers do summer school. Well, you know, get you get you used to what your kids are going through. Hmm? <laughs> and I have so much to say about that situation, but I won't because she might still be alive. So move on to particular <laughs> out of that lawsuit. It was set in 1937. So from 1934 to 1937 is 37 years. So when this movie came out in 1974, it's the equivalent of us today in 2021 watching a movie that is set in... 1974. 1984. Oh, you wanted us to really do math. I thought you I'm were... not summer school. <laughs> I was the teacher. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so it's the because it's a period piece, but it's like for us watching it, you're like, oh, it's 74, add on that it's 1937. But when you were watching this in summer school, it was the equivalent of, of me now watching a movie from 1984. Which doesn't seem that long ago, does it? Like, that's my point. Exactly. We'll get there. <laughs> Thank you, Dee. So, the particulars. It was produced by Robert Evans. Uh -huh. Robert Evans ran Paramount Pictures from 1967 to 1974. In that time, he was responsible for seeing The Godfather, One and Two, Rosemary's Baby, A New Leaf, which we did, The Odd Couple, and The Great Gatsby, to name a few. He Wait, also so, so he produced this, and mm -hmm. he was also running Paramount Pictures. Right. That seems like a lot of jobs. Oh, Christine... And anybody else who wants this guy is a character. He has a, a documentary that came out in the 2000s called The Kid Stays in the Picture. He is, you've seen him, even though you don't know you've seen him, his caricature, his like, per, his persona, because he's that that man that's always just finely, finely tanned. What's um, his name? Bob, Robert Evans. They also Bob Evans. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I think Bob Evans is a different Robert Evans. This Robert Evans, he was um, he, cocaine, 
played a big role. Oh like, my God. Yeah. What is so, that one picture where he looks burned? Yeah, what th- is that's that? That's what I'm saying. That's it looks like Joey Tribbiani, but like. That's oh. su- that's the suntan life, baby. This is when they were in the 70s. He was doing cocaine, cocaine, cocaine. He was uh, just living that Hollywood life. You see caricature, like guys who are super suntanned out and they're the Hollywood executive big, big wigs. And he was a young guy. Oh, so I'm, I, I, I got more on this. He also produced Marathon Man, Urban Cowboy. I mentioned a great documentary, The Kid Stays in the Pictures. Nerd Alert, he started out as an actor after he was spotted and discovered by Norma Shearer. What? Yes. He was on a business trip because he and his brother were selling women's apparel. And Norma Shearer spotted him and thought he would be right to play her late husband, who was Irving Thalberg, who was big time muckety muck in MGM. And that's how, and then he was just horrible. He just looked the part of a Hollywood actor, but he was a terrible actor. And that's how he got into producing. And watch that documentary, because that dude was a wheeler dealer. He got involved in, there's the cotton, the cotton club murders. There's uh, cocaine trafficking. I'm looking at his former wives. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven former well, wives. Well, uh, Ali McGraw yeah. was going to be in this movie, but um, she had a little affair with Steve McQueen, and they were getting divorced. So, like, I'm telling you, this this guy's got a life. Wow. Um, and you was, know what? I'm not blaming her for the Steve McQueen thing. Oh. Yeah. I okay. mean, it, it did tank her career, though, because, you know, this guy was running Paramount Pictures. Well, <laughs> Um, the director, Roman, Roman Polanski. So Uh, we've done, we've done Rosemary's Baby. He also did Knife in the Water and The Pianist. Um, Nerd Alert, he's a Holocaust survivor. Uh, his parents. He was, he was too? He was a child in a Holocaust? Well, he was a child and his parents were taken to Krakow. And I don't know if, like, he was also taken, I know he was in the, the, like, ghettos and stuff okay. there, but then, you know, as a child, his parents didn't make it, yeah. obviously he did, and he was in Poland, so you know he saw some shit, which does not excuse anything for what you're about to find out later. Exactly. Also, no. <laughs> but he's definitely been through some shit. Yeah. And Teeny points out, this day... August 8th that we are filming nine is 8th. Yeah. That isn't that the, the anniversary of when his pregnant wife, Sharon Tate was murdered by the Manson family. Okay. Apparently that was August 9th. Oh, so oh, okay. tomorrow. Wait, but uh, it's, tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so which was, uh, and he filmed this four years after her murder. Right. Was that mm-hmm. in 69, right? 68, oh, probably 69? 69 was a year. I think it was 69. 69, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and then this movie came out in 74, and this was actually the film that got him back to California because, you know, it's like, my wife was murdered and my kid. I'm out. Um, 
And he's also a fugitive from the U.S. since he fled the United States in 1978 while awaiting sentencing for unlawful intercourse with a minor. Mm -hmm. um, he minor? drugged. Yeah, he. Any way that you want to cut it or slice it up, he admitted to having sex with a minor, 13 years old. 13. We're not talking. He was 43 at the time, and he admitted to having sex with the 13-year-old girl and admits it in his autobiography and everything. I mean, he is Does so he even try to, Does he even try to, like, spin it so that he doesn't look so bad? Yes, and it... Do you want to know gonna how work. he tries to Yeah, spin I do want to know how he tried to spin it. He tried to spin it saying that she was more mature beyond her years oh, and yeah. that she did and you know she didn't it was consensual. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. she's 13. So mm -hmm. they, they there's mm -hmm. no way that mm -hmm. there's just any way mm -hmm. that you split it. And also um because he has fled the country then the survivor of that has had to live with it being an ongoing Still. thing that is happening. And happened. continuing to be brought up. Exactly. As in our and podcast. Well, always continue to be mm -hmm. brought up. And she just wants closure for it. And then I was reading that also since then it has also come out because a lot, she wanted closure for it. She was like, it's been enough time. I forgive him. I think that we should just like, you know, cause she just wants to move on with her life. And right. it's been like over 40 years at this point. And she said he hasn't had any other allegations, but then there have been other people who have come out and he was a creep and he liked young girls. Hmm. Like, so I, will say he is a creep and likes young girls and he's a rapist so that's the director we have the writer is robert town remember he did days of thunder he also wrote shampoo the firm mission impossible one and two and then he was a very famous script doctor so that's the we we mentioned it when we did a new leaf with um oh oh what's her name the elaine elaine may how oh, okay and like and Carrie Fisher used to be one as well where they were you would see the another writer's credit but you know they would while they're producing or they need a line they would give it to these people and they they punch it up and change stuff and get paid very well but they don't get their name up in lights he was uncredited on Bonnie and Clyde the Godfather the Parallax View and Marathon Man just to name a few so he's got bona fides. The music is by Jerry Goldsmith, who also did Alien, The Omen, Patton, Hoosiers, and a bunch of Star Trek films. Jerry Goldsmith did so many films. He's I up like there with the music like, in this. Yeah, there's more on that. The director of photography, John A. Alonzo. Remember, because he did Sounder, and he's also the first Mexican-American to become a member of the American Society of Cinematographers. Yes. He also did Harold and Maude, Lady Sings the Blues, The Bad News Bears, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, just to name a few. The editor, Sam Osteen, he did The Graduate, Cool Hand Luke, Rosemary's Baby, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, just to name a few. So all of these people have all of these bona fides that are attached to this, you know? Um, starring the cast, Jack Nicholson as J.J., Jake, Giddies, 
He was 37 at the time of this film. Um, this was his first big leading role. He had been in some other films, but nobody was ever until this film was like, oh, Jack Nicholson, he's a leading man. I thought he got some acclaim from Easy Rider. Well, he was an Easy Rider, but remember, that was a supporting part. He was also Oh, it was in, supporting. Mm-hmm, he was also in The Little Shop of Horrors, Five Easy Pieces, and then later he went on to do One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Terms yes. of Endearment, A Few Good Men, and I think probably my personal favorite Jack Nicholson performance is that of the Joker in Batman. Oh, I thought he was, I, Heath Ledger is a, a very good Joker as well, but he Jack Nicholson's Joker was Oof. just so funny and hilarious and jokery to me. And every time he smiled in this film, I was like, look, there's the Joker. Yeah. I could wait for him to pull out his big, long gun from that scene. So we have Faye Dunaway as Evelyn Cross. Evelyn Cross Mulray, she was 33 at the time of this. She was also in Network, Bonnie and Clyde. She was in both the original Thomas Crown Affair and the remake of the Thomas Crown Affair. And she was also in Mommy Dearest. No wire hangers. I just threw some away today. Exactly. Get them out the house. John Huston has Noah Cross. Remember, he's a famous film director, father to Angelica Houston. He was also the director and in The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which we recently did. He also acted in The Cardinal, Casino Royale, and The Other Side of the Wind. Those are his acting accolades. Um, Perry Lopez as Lieutenant Lou Escobar. Mm -hmm. He is an actor of Puerto Rican descent. He was also in Mr. Roberts. McClintock! Or McClintock! And the two Jakes. Mm -hmm. John Hillerman as Russ Yelberton. Uh, I know that guy is. I'm like, hey, that's Higgins from Magnum P.I. Yes, it was. He's also in The Last Picture Show, Blazing Saddles, and Paper Moon, just to name a few. Wow. Diane Ladd as Ida Sessions. She was also in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Wild at Heart, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and the Ghost of Mississippi, to name a few. Nerd alert, she is Laura Dern's mom in yes, real life. Mm-hmm. We have James Hong as Khan, Evelyn's butler. He was in a television show called The New Adventures of Charlie Chan. So, of course, I had to do a nerd alert on that. The New Adventures of Charlie Chan, it was a television series. Um, he wasn't. He was a fictional detective... And in the show, he was played by Jay Carroll Nash, who was Irish. And that followed in with the convention of the movies where Charlie Chan was always played by a Western actor and his sons were played by Asian actors. So James Hong didn't play Charlie Chan in the TV show. He played number one son because that's what they were doing. So it's... uh, He's been in a lot, though. He's in so much. So he was also in Airplane, Blade Runner, and Wayne's World 2, just to name a few. He was in tons of things. And tons of TV. Tons of TV. Still, he's still doing tons of stuff showing up. We have Beulah Kawao. She was, 
she's uh she played the maid. She's a Chinese American actress. She was in General Hospital, MacArthur, and Broke Down Palace, to name a few. Nerd alert. She is a smart lady. She had got her master's degree from the University of Chicago. She was involved in the Lake Tahoe Chinese Christian Youth Conferences during the 1960s, where they were leading discussions on cross-racial cooperation and against the internment of the Japanese Americans in World War II. So, like, even at the time, she was like, this is not, what are you doing? What are we doing? Um... She also found the East-West players with James Hong, and that's the first Asian-American repertory theater in the U.S. in 1965. She was also involved in the Vincent Chin case, and that's a real-life case that happened in 1982. A Chinese-American man was beaten to death by two white men in Detroit because they thought he was Japanese, and they blamed the Japanese for them getting laid off in Detroit because oh, of the Japanese cars. Auto workers. Wow. Yeah. So there's just so many levels of fucked upness into that. Um, and she wrote a play called Carry the Tiger to the Mountain about that. Oh. So wow. she was just about it, about it. And about she played life. a domestic. Because she she had to. And we have Jerry Fujikawa. He was the gardener. He's Uh a Japanese-American. He was also in Japanese War Bride, Nobody's Perfect, and The King of Marvin Gardens, to name a few. Nerd alert, in real life, he was detained at Manzanar War Relocation Center. So he was in one of the internment camps that Beulah was talking about. What the fuck is this shit? Uh And while he was in there... He volunteered for the U.S. Army. I'm guessing his theory was like, hey, yeah, I'll go fight for you because maybe you can, like, take my family out of this situation and maybe we can be moved to another type of situation or maybe I can prove to you how much of an American I really am, even though I was born here. Like, his parents were born here. Like, he comes from a long line of Japanese-Americans. So he ended up serving in the United States Army during World War II. He was wounded in Italy, and he saw action in France. So he was, like, in the shit, the shit. And you know that couldn't have been easy for him because he's in World War II in Europe. Like, still, he's in Europe, but, you know, like, it's he's um. identifiable and just all that bullshit. Um. Then we have, finally, we have Burt Young as Curly, and you know him from Mm -hmm. Rocky, and also Once Upon a Time in America, and Mickey Blue Eyes. And those are the particulars. Outstanding. Mm. Well, we meet Jake Giddies. Is that how I'm supposed to say it? I think it's Giddies. Giddies. I think it's Giddies. I say Giddies. Yeah, they say Giddies. Titties, only Giddies. Mm-hmm. Yes. A private eye giving a client some bad news about his wife. Then Mrs. Mulray comes in saying she thought her husband, Hollis Mulray, was having an affair. Jake is on the case. What could go wrong? So, so much. <laughs> so, so much. <clears throat> right, so, are you going to talk about, because you 
when you saw this movie, because like, you've seen this movie before, right, Ma? Yes, I saw it in the 70s. And I only remember uh, spoilers. So if you want to watch it and not have spoilers, you need to stop. It's on Netflix, and it's also on Amazon Prime. Yeah, so it's free. Yep. Uh, and it is supposedly one of a few perfect screenwriting. Well, this is one of those classics. That, so if you're into I cinema, agree with that. Uh, yeah, we'll talk more. But uh, I only remember him getting his nose cut and a very, like, thing in the back of my brain about... Faye Dunaway had a daughter, but um, that's, I remember going out. Or does she have a sister? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what, I saw this movie in college because it's one of the, it's up there with, as far as, uh, I guess, classic film literacy, it's up there with Citizen Kane, you know, Chinatown, they, they put these up there. Um, as the, one of the greats. And so I remember seeing it in college. I, I've, I've already talked about it, but the, our college filming experience was, it was a classroom with those wooden desks that were chair desks that were all together. So we weren't, it wasn't like we were in movie theater. The, like it was just the most uncomfortable desk situations. The classes were usually three hours and they usually started at like noon to three so it was just like long and you're just watching it. And I, I remember not understanding anything, not really getting anything. And, and then she goes, she's my sister. And I'm like, okay, she's my daughter. She's my sister. She's my daughter and my sister. And I remember going, excuse me, what? I'm <laughs> what awake now. <laughs> what is this movie? Like, this, what a turn this has taken. And that's the only thing I remember about it. And something to do with water and Los Angeles. I had never been to Los Angeles at that point. I didn't even realize it was about, I, it just, I didn't understand what it was about at all. So. Have you seen Double Indemnity? Yes, yes. We, we did yes. it. You didn't did we? Okay. We did it pre-teeny. But there are a couple of versions, aren't there? I believe we did the peep. Is that the peep show pumps? Is that Lana Turner? No, 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 no. That's no. This is uh, this is um, the Big Valley Lady, and Fred McMurray, Barbara, Barbara Stanwyck. That's and right. Fred McMurray. Yeah. I listened to a podcast called Classic Movie Musts, mm. and I think you would like it. There was like um, the host. He had his guest was his high school film teacher oh wow and i guess he comes on his podcast a couple of, like frequently like he was like oh everybody's been asking when i was gonna have you back and he was asking him like because he was like this is one of my favorite movies to teach uh chinatown is one of my favorite movies to teach my high schoolers and um but he he was asking him how he goes about teaching it and he was like well usually this is like you know it's in a film class so this isn't the first one so he says he starts with double indemnity and I'm like, well, now I gotta watch that, but, I, but we've already done it. I guess I just need to listen to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. It was mm -hmm. good because we were going to look for the house, the house that Barbara Stanwyck lived in, in double indemnity because it's supposed oh, yeah. to still be standing, but we haven't been back to 
Los Angeles, and and I haven't left my apartment. So <laughs> <laughs> none of us have really been to Los Angeles no. in two years. <laughs> Which is one of my reheatables. I don't think I wrote it down, but mm. it's there. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we are to uh, people of color count. Oh, the and I just updated mine due to Lou. I have a total of seven plus innumerable people at the very end that I couldn't count. Okay, I have an indigenous boy on a horse, the Asian oh, butler, the Asian the maid. The oh, Asian, no, yeah, the Asian gardener. Then there was a black man who was the assistant at the coroner's. At the morgue, yeah. Yeah, and then I have, um, like the the final Chinatown scene. There were so many extras. Right. Oh yeah. But, but all of the notice, like all of the roles, are all in support domestics. I was know. very surprised. Yeah, not knowing literally a thing about what this movie was about, I was like, oh, this, this, I guess I should have known based on when it was made. But I didn't, I was kind of expecting a leading role somewhere. Yeah, no. Nope. No, no. In fact, the original script had no scenes in Chinatown. Yes. Ooh. It was the end. So, um, so what was your total? Eight? I had five then plus the final Chinatown scene, but I could oh, have okay. missed a lot. I mean, it's, it's basically yeah, like it our whole point of it is to just be like to point out the, the how the white supremacy basically. Right. So I have a quote for our power of cast. Ooh, yes. Which pretty much just sums it up. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. We're mm -hmm. not. We're not gonna deal with it. It's Chinatown. Okay. So, for cast, I, I had a. I have a, a little bit. Um, there's a lot of Asian hate. Mm -hmm. I'll just call it what it is. I was gonna say like resentment, or, but it's it's Asian no, it's hate. hate. Um, we have the joke that gets told and retold Which by is just by, hilarious. Yeah, it's dumb and zero on the laughometer. Yes, it's just super offensive. So there isn't even like, oh, that's funny. Mm -hmm. Um, Jake making fun of how the gardener says grass is. Yeah. I was really wondering what was wrong with how the water had anything to do with glass. I really did. Me and too. And it wasn't until the second time I went, oh, my God, he's talking about grass. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the kind you smoke. I'm talking about the kind that grows. He's a gardener. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, okay. We've already given you the old um, spoiler alerts and stuff. So at the end, when they're in Chinatown, the cops just shooting down the street, a crowded street. I started to say that, but I feel like that happens in black communities all it the does, time anyway. But so, that's the point. Of, that's the cast point because they're in Chinatown also. Yeah. So they're just like allowed to do it. Um, it's like she pulled, Evelyn pulled a gun because again, we're in cast. She, so she pulled a gun in front of the cops. Lives, lives, shoots her father, lives, lives. <laughs> like very yeah. close. These are easy shots to take at, at home, girl. 
No, you're going to wait until she's driving away erratically. Too far away for a handgun to actually hit her and go through her. Yeah. Her what? Eye. Oh, her eye. Aaron has an issue with that from Jesse James. Jesse James. Um, also the whole, uh, I, this was something that it had occurred to me when I'm watching it and as, even as I pick picked the movie, cause I didn't remember it from the beginning. I'm like, wait, why is this film even called Chinatown? Mm-hmm. And that's part of the cast as mm-hmm. well. Um, town took the title in the, from an exchange. What did you do in Chinatown? And then, because that, because throughout it, it's always referred to, because Jake used to be a cop and work in Chinatown. And it, so anytime people will say, like, Chinatown, like, he's, like, he, you know, he gets the PTSD, like, oh, I must have been, he must have went through some shit in Chinatown. And his response was as little as possible. He got, so Town took that from a Hungarian cop, vice cop, who had worked in Chinatown and explained to the writer that the complicated array of dialects and gangs in Los Angeles's Chinatown made it impossible for the police to know whether their interventions were helping the victims or furthering their exploitation. Mm-hmm. So then the cops were just like, oh, it's just, it's too, it's too, it's too much dialect, there's too much. And instead of like hitting the books in the pavement, kind of learning the, the different cultural aspects of what's going on, they're just like, oh, I was going to do as little as possible. And so that creates that air. So then Chinatown refers to a realm of bewilderment and confusion, which is, I mean, that's cast because it's Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Like it's an, it's another, it's a place that isn't white. You automatically say that, you know, it's not, uh, in, you know what I'm saying? So then in LA Weekly, there I found an article called Chinatown is a story of white supremacy and the gentrification of LA by Johnny Coleman. And it came out, uh, I guess it came out on the anniversary of this film, because it came out in uh, June 20th, 2017. And he says, he mentions how the water in this film is really the MacGuffin. So the MacGuffin is like a term in Hitchcock films Mm -hmm. and stuff, where it's just the, it's the thing that they're after. It's like, oh, you got the spy secret. It's, you know, the thing that propels the plot, but it really doesn't have anything to do with the movie. Um so water is the MacGuffin in Chinatown, and it's about how L.A. subsumes the non-white Los Angeles and has its way with the culture it tries to dominate. So it's also a place where this Chinatown in, of the movie is this place where terrible things happen on the regular, not because of the people living there, but because of the ruthless white oligarchs who use Chinatown as the forum to do their dirty work. And in real life in Los Angeles, the Chinatown that's here today is actually Chinatown part due because the original Chinatown is now where Union Station is because <laughs> that's what happens in Los Angeles. Oh, uh, no, that's really convenient for our trains. So you, all y'all Chinese, y'all got to get out of there. So then they move to Chinatown. Chinatown part do is having issues with the same kind of thing of, you know, gentrification and people coming in. Same thing, like Chavez Ravine where Dodger Stadium is, that is a beautiful stadium, but the history of the community that was demolished to build it is super sad. 
So that's just an ongoing thing in the history of Los Angeles is, is just... And all of America, because the Chinatown yeah. here is the same way. Exactly. And it's right next to the financial district and right near Soho. So people just keep pushing and pushing in. And I, I mean, there's... And this is even before the pandemic, because I read an article from 2019, and um, there, I think there was like a new building that was made called One Manhattan Square. And anytime you name a building, the address of the street, you know it's gentrified. But <laughs> the median family income is about was about forty thousand dollars at the time and the luxury apartments in this building are selling for one million to four million a piece oh wow mm-hmm. and it's and then obviously the pandemic like hurt these communities even more mm-hmm. just business in general and then people doing you know violence against Asian Americans all in mm-hmm. Chinatown across the country. And then even then there, I was like, I clicked on an article and I, I didn't read too much into it, but they like opened a new, like the, one of the museums in Chinatown that was back. Somebody on the board is on the board of this like museum. There's all, the, they were getting all this press for like anti, like no anti-racism and all this other stuff. But meanwhile, he also was a landlord for this really famous dim sum restaurant in Chinatown who closed, and they closed the restaurant that employed more than a hundred people because, but like, meanwhile, he's like on this, Mm -hmm. this chair, a co-chair on this board for this museum. That's getting all this positive press for like anti-racism and yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's what, like, because that's what, oh, what, like, you see it now with commercials and stuff. And it's like, on the one hand, I, yes, it's nice to see people who look like different, like, really representing right. what Americans really look like. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, they're just selling me stuff. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, they, they're doing this yeah. because they want me to buy something. So, uh, are we finished with our power of cast? I believe it's just, just the whole awful. thing is, yeah. yeah. So we are two nerd alerts. Okay, so this came out in 1974. So leading up to that in the, in the nation, is uh, dealing with some tumultuousness. We I, had, will, uh, I will tell you that Poppy and I both graduated from college in 1974. Oh, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank so that you. happened. The previous year, Nixon had resigned because of Watergate, and there yes, was yes, he had. There was, was a huge, wonderful. huge oil crisis. Well, that was so um, Patty Hearst had, was kidnapped. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. magazine published its first issue, and Mia Farrow was what? on the cover. Really? <laughs> yeah. For for um for what's a Majig's baby or for marrying Frank Sinatra? I don't know. Whatever. Nineteen seventy four. Okay. Um, Hank Aaron tied Babe Ruth's all-time home run record at Riverfront Stadium. Yes, he did. And I didn't know that. And then uh, four days later, he broke the record in Atlanta. Yes, he did. Which is awesome, but it's still 1974, and there are a lot of people so mad about it. (sighs) They were big mad. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, Stephen King published his first novel, Carrie. Uh-huh. What? That was his first novel? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was in the, so I went to the bookstore today and purchased my first two books for the beach. Ooh. And the uh, McNally Jackson store, they have a whole section of horror. Horror. Not whore. Not whore. <laughs> I would read both. I'm interested in both for the beach. But the amount of Stephen King books on those damn yeah. shelves. It was yeah. like a whole section dedicated to him. Didn't really care. It was his first one. Yeah, he is prolific. And he started writing rather late in life. I remember I read his on his famous on writing book and it was actually like a really good book. And it went, he was, I forget where he was working. He was doing just some like a regular job and he did something in security and he would write either, he either worked at night and wrote during the day or flipped it back. And he just kept writing and kept writing and kept writing. And so the success came rather late in his life. Hmm. It's very inspirational. Um, here you go. The Cleveland baseball team, their Major League Baseball team, they came up with a brilliant marketing idea to have a 10-cent beer night during a game with the Texas Rangers. That sounds like a lot of fun. Too much fun, Actually, it was too much fun because they had to end up forfeiting the game because of mayhem and violence that spread from the stands to the field. Remember, Cleveland is the mistake by the lake. <laughs> so they, they went hard and fast up in that paint. The top movies, the number five film of 1975 was The Trial of Billy Jack. Number four, Earthquake. <laughs> number three, Young Frankenstein. Number two is Blazing Saddles. And the number one film was The Towering Inferno. With Paul Newman. September's coming up. So the Academy Award nominations, we have The Towering Inferno, Lenny, The Conversation, Chinatown was nominated, and the winner, you can't really argue with this, is The Godfather Part Two. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like, the only sequel that was really good. Uh, that might be an overstatement, but... Yeah, I mean, well, Empire Strikes Back. They usually say Empire Strikes Back and... Uh, Godfather 2. Yeah. Godfather 3, not so much. So, does anybody else have any nerd alerts? No. All right. Well, I have one more then. Oh. So, this whole... The MacGuffin of this is all about water and getting the water supply <laughs> to Los Angeles. So, yeah, I, I, I did a little nerd mm. alert on the California Water Wars. Because they say in it that, you know, you have the ocean and then you have the desert. That's yes. what you have. So really, like really when you look at Los Angeles, it is by sheer gumption that yes. this city exists. Exactly. Because it's Just, a desert. Yes. And and I was rewatching the beginning of the film and like what he says is true. You can just ride down and now you're at the Pacific Ocean. But the Pacific Ocean, we can't drink the Pacific Ocean. And we can't irrigate orange groves and crops with the Pacific Ocean. So that was a very big problem that needed to be solved in Los Angeles's early development was water. So this film, it gets the broad strokes correct, but it's not an, an accurate depiction of okay. the water wars. Okay, so 
What happened? The California Water Wars. They are a series of political conflicts between the city of Los Angeles and farmers and ranchers in the Owens Valley of Eastern California over water rights. So the Owens Valley. If you look at a map and you see Los Angeles, that dot, go exactly straight north. Just straight up, stick your finger up north. And when you get to where the border is with Nevada, that's kind of the area of oh, the Owens Valley. So okay. it's and it makes sense because there's the the Sierra Nevada mountain range. So they had a lot of water because it would run off, and so they had a bunch of water. And it's it's a four hour drive just straight north from Los Angeles. Owens Valley had the water. Yes, Owens Valley has the water because they're by the mountains. They got a lot of mountains there. Exactly. So they're getting. Oh my God! Four point one stars. Well, it's 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 in a people want to live in Los Angeles. They don't want to live in Owens Valley. That was kind of the. But Owens, the the mountains used to have snow that would melt throughout the throughout the summer to give you water. We're, We're running out of that snow on those mountain peaks. Right. So Los Angeles Mayor Fred Eaton, this is around the late 1880s. He was, I think he was the mayor from uh, like the the late, the very late turn of around 1880s and then to the turn of the century to the 1900s. And he realized that LA was going to run out of water. So he was the one that was first like, yo. Owens Valley, man, this directly, I think like, I remember something about Isaac Newton and physics and gravity. I bet that that water, we can make that run all the way down to us and then we will be set. And so William Mulholland, who that's- Mulholland Drive. That's the namesake. He saw the, he was the one that was in charge of overseeing the aqueduct construction. And- Basically, everyone lied to everyone, Mulholland mm-hmm. and, and these people. So they told the Owens Valley residents that they were only going to use unused flows to oh, send sure. out to L.A. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Your crops and stuff and all that will be fine. We're mm-hmm. only taking the runoff. That wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And then to L.A. residents, he said... Um, like he made it out like, oh, we're running out of water. Like, oh my gosh, this is like, we seriously need water. And he, they had more water than they were letting on to, but that, that wasn't going to, they needed the fear, you know, to strike fear and stuff. So then they also had, there were the shady dealings with the San Fernando Valley, which is where I am right now. That Uh, wasn't, yeah, that wasn't part of Los Angeles. That was just, um, it, it, you know, it was, it was just basically the desert, you know? Right. And so, because it was, so then they, every, these people knew the inside information. So they went to their friends and they were like, Hey, you know, the San Fernando Valley. And they're like the dust bowl that's North of us. Yes. You need to start buying up land. Trust me on this. Mm. So then all his friends bought up <laughs> land, dirt cheap in the Valley. And the LA people were like, oh, we're, we need all this water. We need the water. We're going to get the water from Owens Valley and that'll save our water. And Mulholland was like, oh, we're going to bring the water true south towards Los Angeles. But we're going to use that to irrigate this San Fernando Valley, make that a bunch of groves and nice and watery. But 
And then there was other obstacles they had to get over because of like LA and LA was like, oh, no problem. We'll annex the San Fernando Valley. So that becomes part of Los Angeles city that increases our debt. And because it increases our debt, we'll have the money to build the aquifer. And they're like, we are printing money. And so that's exactly what they did. Um, so most of that happened by 1915. So, because this movie takes place later. Now, they mention a dam that collapsed in this film. That was based on something that really did happen. In 1926, mm-hmm. the Owens Lake, or, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. So going back to how, remember how I told you that they lied to the Owens Valley people saying we're only going to take the, the runoff? That was a lie because by 1926, the Owens Lake was completely dry. So they, they, they didn't even make it like 10 mm. years without. They were just like, we took. And then as a result, that whole area's agricultural went in the toilet and in the dumps because they didn't have any water to irrigate their crops because it was all being sent down to Los Angeles. And Moholland, he was the one that built the aqueduct, and he was a uh, he was a self-taught civil engineer. Yes, self-taught. So, um, his career came to an abrupt end on March 12, nineteen twenty-eight, when the Saint Francis Dam collapsed. Uh, four hundred, about four hundred fifty people died. It flooded the area of what is now Valencia and Newhall. It was uh, found to be that it was a defective soil foundation. Um, it's kind of what happens when you go with self-taught civil engineers, I guess. So that was something that actually happened. It was actually um, one of the greatest man-made catastrophes, I think still to this day in California. Just horrendous, horrible wall of water because this dam collapsed. Um, I read it was the it was the greatest catastrophe, natural or man-made, as well as the San Francisco earthquake. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, it, those were the two. It was just complete devastation, and nobody stood a chance. If you were in the path of that water, it mm. was going to the ocean, and people's bodies and belongings never got a lot of them never got recovered because they just went out to the Pacific. Oh. Yeah, I think it may- Karen and Georgia covered it on my. They did. Murder. It's covered on my favorite murder. Yep. Oh really? Um. Mm-hmm. So Moholland's character is split between two people in this film. He is Hollis Mulray, who is the the guy that gets murdered. Um. And then also Claude Mulville. And I love oh, that they okay. did that with both of their names. Yeah. Mulray, Mulville. Yes. And then the, the syndicate of land, the land syndicate that exploited insider knowledge and all for personal greed, that's all pretty much summed up in uh, Noah Cross's character. Yes. So yeah. that's the real story. And... Now we're in a very serious drought. And because on my way, when I used to go to work, I would go by the second aqueduct and I would see the water coming down. And there was like a reservoir that like the five splits and that. I mean, again, 
two years ago, last time I drove past it, it was it was uh, creeping, creeping, creeping. So who knows what it looks like now? Because again, LA is still thirsty because it kind of shouldn't be here. <laughs> you know, come home. Uh, but you saw the beautiful sun in this film. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we are to uh, reheatables and uh, negatives first. Christine? Oh, you did me first. I wanted Because to I didn't you. write any down. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just you know, the negative, I mean, all of the power of cast would be my negatives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's, all, but that's also my LVP. Okay. Um, so I just didn't take negative notes. I was in a look, we were being positive during this whole thing. I understood. Okay. I, understood. I saw to the positivity. And okay. I really there wasn't in much that I would not. Okay. Well, I mean, there are a few. I'm like, sure you have something. Let's go with incest. Okay. Let's just throw that out there. Oh, yeah. I'm okay. not a fan of that. Um, the black eye of the uh spouse that got caught. Don't like that either. Near- around her ankles um Faye Dunaway's eyebrows those 30s and so thin and I mean she's so disgusting am I right smoking a cigarette in the morgue and flicking the ashes on the floor I guess the black dude was gonna come clean those up I don't know Aaron negatives other than incest Oh, well, just right off the bat, Roman Polanski. Those well, are yeah. It's like, oh. Then I well, have now I look like the dick. <laughs> I loved it all. <laughs> I love Roman Polanski. Why can't he come back to America? What's wrong with incest? Hey, just... and let people do what they do. Yeah. I mean, he made her. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> um, Littering. I think that that goes on with you remember he tosses he just tossed the paper his yeah. cigarette butts in the echo park lake his cigarettes yeah. everywhere it's like oh just well cigarettes alone is a negative i i mean i don't uh, I, oh you know what? i'm i'm gonna say it the cigarettes just fade down always teeth uh, negative yeah. readable. I didn't go. write it down but okay. it's just you, you can just see how far dentistry has come and what um just what cigarettes and stuff will do yeah but you don't have the the yellowness that was going on the nicotine teeth yeah um violence against women there was a bunch of violence against yeah and it was all like expected yeah i mean you mentioned the black eye i would have loved it if curly also had a black eye yeah (laughs) he comes to the door and he had one and we're like, all right, well, at least she got a lick in. Or if he weren't able to stand upright and walk, you know, yeah, I he mean, was, just yeah. had a thing of peace on his crotch. Ice on his crotch, that would have been good, but no. No. When Jake just beats Evelyn in the, the famous scene, how he's going to, like, what, you're going to slap the incest out of her, Jake? He's just like, she's my sister, slap, slap. Um, Evelyn's father, to, like, we already. Two of the three of us find that disgusting. <laughs> I <can't>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be a great week at the beach with Tim. Mm. Oh, God. <laughs> um, and it, I, 
Ida Sessions getting murdered? Do do we even know what ha- who killed Ida Sessions? No. She's just mur- like nobody cares. Yeah, we do. Yeah. It was Noah Cross's fault. Well, it's all Noah Cross's fault, but yeah, but, but, but why did he kill her? Yeah, and like why did she? I feel like she just had to die because she was a woman, basically. Well, but but she was the one who could she identify whoever paid her to pretend yeah. to be Evelyn. Can go. we just go with the name Evelyn? I mean, just Eve. I like the name Eve, but Evelyn. Okay. Add Evelyn to Add the to list. my list of not to name my dogs. Yeah, Ryan and Andrew should also be on that list. Okay. Definitely Ryan. Yeah, those were my negatives. Okay, positive reheatables. You know, I didn't have anything written down at the end of this movie, but I went back. I did like the eye candy of the um, the craftsman houses back then with the built-ins, mm-hmm. those built-ins that that uh wherever the girl was being held or was it or was it um ida built-ins and what is a built-in the um like cabinets that are attached to the like attached to the wall it's not like the wall got it no, I didn't. I'm that was more yeah, built in shelving. Like there's like built in like things in little nooks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very nice. And of course the wardrobe. I very mean nice. the wardrobes. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people can pull off the, the hats that Faye Dunaway wore. Because you have to be skeletal. Yes, and huh? she is very skeletal. Yeah. I okay. It's tasty nugget. Never mind. Um, I have the scenery and the backdrops. Yes. Um, and apparently a lot of it's still there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know any more about it, but you can go check it out next time you're in LA. Um, that's gonna be a while. Yeah, I liked the plot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that I understand what the fuck was going on. <laughs> yeah, and then I have a whole sec, a little section on this. But the metaphors and symbolism. Oh, good girl. girl. Would you like me to do my section now? Yes. Okay. And don't worry. I'm not smart enough to think of this on myself. I'm stupid. So I had to, when it comes to this stuff, I am. We're not going to, we're not going to, there's no, this is positivity. You don't so Okay. I thought of these all by myself. I thought of listening to the podcast and I thought of looking at spark notes. Exactly. So yeah, you figured that out. You you yeah. educated yourself. Yeah. And there's a lot in here. Um first and foremost, the dishonesty of authority figures. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Always with the rich people controlling the city, the police yeah. ignoring the crime. And I also heard that um this kind of fuel like Roman Polanski was coming off of the murder of Sharon Tate and the police fucked that up royally with that investigation in the crime scene. So there's speculation that maybe that had a little bit to do with, um, you know, his passion for this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it also didn't help in his, uh, 
legal troubles that would happen after this. I'm mm-hmm. sure with LA County, but exactly. you know, let's not make this into a Bill Cosby gets off on a you know the technicality because mm-hmm. other people. Like, I'm not saying, like, people could have, like, fucked up on the Roman Polanski case, but still, he admitted to what he did to a 13-year-old yeah. girl. Yeah. Right. Okay. Did you hear that, the Bill? Cor- the corruption of the American dream. Mm. From the get-go. Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to just be able to move here, especially then. You get some unclaimed land. You work with the natural resources you have, make it work for yourself. But and money, there were there were living. tribes here. Yeah. There were, there were well, living yeah, here. I guess that's also the fucked up part about the American dream. Yeah. Um, but even not okay, even if we take using natural resources out of it, the American dream of moving here and making it work, there's always a rich person that's ruining it for everyone. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they want more and more and more. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the American dream is corrupt in itself. Uh, okay, so this is more symbolism. We're moving on from metaphors to symbolism here. So the whole movie is shot from Jake's point of view. Yes, it is. Tasty nugget, but he, and he doesn't see things clearly until after everything is, there's like no overhead shot of like a clear shot from like, far away until mm-hmm. after he realizes what has happened mm, and then clearly um then we already talked about Mulholland and Mulray but Noah Cross Noah from the Bible with Noah's Ark with mm-hmm. water mm-hmm. and then Cross I don't know if cross is like biblical or I heard one thing that was like, don't cross me. Who knows what? Mm-hmm. And then I heard two things about the slice on the nose. First of all, I heard it was an homage to another film noir movie where the direct, cause it was Roman Polanski who slit the nose, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Where there's another movie where the director like sliced an eye. Oh, Unchien and Delu. Sure, yes. So I heard that, that this was had like a famous eyeball slicing scene. Okay, oh! yeah. So this was an homage to that, maybe mm-hmm. we think. But also, I um, a slice nose because you're not sniffing it out the right way. Oh <gasps> wow. So I enjoyed reading about that. That was my positives. Outstanding. That gave me a little bit of goosebumps. Mm, that was so good. And I'm sure there's many more. Oh. Yeah, I heard that that he did a lot of shots of uh uh Jack Nicholson's shoulders and head because we were seeing everything through mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson's perspective through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I want to go back. It's a movie that I want I would I feel like I want to go back and watch again to get Yeah. Yes, it does. It does reward a rewatch because the first watch you're or the first watch after a long time of not seeing it, you're kind of like, wait, what's going on? What's going yeah, exactly. on? Exactly. And then when you know what's going on, then to like go back and you're like, oh, wow. Then you mm-hmm. can really let everything just wash over you. Yeah. Another positive reheatable I have is John Houston. He was 
perfection in that mm-hmm. role. I was sitting there the whole time, like, where is he from? What is he from? What is he from? And we just freaking saw him. Yeah, yeah, but he was so much younger. Yeah. He had so much less y- luggage under the eyes. Well, don't. I guess they all do. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so now we are to quote To my re- good reheatable. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Jack's liquor cabinet in his office. Nice. Oh, Although yeah. In an office. Mm-hmm. But in Jack's office, I mean, I guess technically I, <laughs> I have one. Yeah. Oh, but his is so much nicer than mine. Um, Just the whole LA's thirsty theme. It's yeah. so relatable. Yeah. Oh, so relatable. I thought it was really funny the scene where they're at the Echo Park Lake and it's just um, all the men yeah. in their suits <laughs> and they're rowing in the LA heat and stuff. And they're like, oh, is it this relaxing? Yes, ma'am, it sure is. And they're just sweating. Um, the Tom Collins drink, she ordered a Tom Collins. With like, lime, not lemon. Yeah, which. That makes me, I'm like, I got to get soda water because apparently a Tom Collins is just gin, lemon juice, simple syrup, and club soda. Huh. And I'm like, all this time I could have been drinking Tom Collins's instead of I the had, gin and tonics. I had a friend at the beach where I just was a week ago, this last week, and she has this machine that takes tap water and makes it fuzzy water. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Not for me, because I don't do fizzy water. Yeah, Nick's you're the next bubbly. The cinematography. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. just capture because that is that is that's one of the things that I miss about Los Angeles is just the way that the light comes in, and especially like in the evenings and driving mm. around and just how the light hits LA. It's oh, it's just so magical. Yeah, we were watching it, and Adam had just heard. I don't know. He had like been listening to a podcast or something. He, he was like, Oh, I just saw that this movie was on like one of the top movies to see, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we were watching it and he was like, Oh, I definitely see why it's known for his cinematography. Like you could or like one I, of the I'm gonna go back and watch it again. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. This looks so good. Um Goldfish, because he'll remember he gets his nose and he's like, you know, if you keep on going down the road, I'm going to cut off your nose and feed it to my goldfish. So I was like, would goldfish eat a nose? So I did a little research. Goldfish have taste buds on their lips. So that's why they peck at everything. So technically they would peck at a nose if you dropped it in. And then um, I also found out that you're not supposed to keep a goldfish in a bowl because it gets really toxic really quick. Yeah, and that's why they goldfish- die in two days. Yeah, exactly, because you're not supposed to put them in a bowl. And then that goldfish will grow to the size of their environment. So that's why they have... Because right. remember, Grammy had it, and I was like, yeah, those were goldfish. They were huge. Yeah, right? quite. They had a yeah. pond, and they were, mm-hmm. they were just huge. And that's why sometimes online you'll see these huge goldfish and it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. they will just grow to their uh, size. And so they will eat any fish that can fit in their mouth. 
and that includes their babies. And I thought, the <gasps> symbolism or metaphor. Oh I don't know the difference. Yeah. Well, there's, did you hear about the football sized goldfish that was found in Minnesota Lake like a couple weeks ago? I remember seeing something about that. It was a yeah, huge. It was huge. Mm-hmm. Because they will just, just grow. Yeah. Unless they're in a little bowl. There's a giant goldfish problem in the lake in the lake in Minnesota. Oh, because they're grow. <gasps> and then that's how big the- they could get. And this, they're saying do not release your unwanted pest goldfish into the wild because they're finding the city of Burnsville. They're finding so many giant goldfish and it's causing a major um, it might cause a major disruption to the ecosystem. Yes, because the gold it, if a goldfish gets bigger, its mouth gets bigger, which means it's going to eat fish bigger fish into its mouth. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. And Minnesota goldfish are regulated invasive species, which means it's illegal to release them into public waters. Yep. And then they're so, kept in the home. They only grow about two inches, but if they go in public waters, they can be a lot bigger and they can rapidly dominate native species. Oh my God. So if they die and you flush them, which is what we always did, actually, Grammy would see them starting to lilt on their sides. Do you remember what she'd do? No. She'd put a couple drops of whiskey in their water. And man, they would perk up and be so happy and swim and swim and swim. And then they die a happy death. Yeah. Yeah. My mother. Well, in Carver County, they've pulled 50,000 goldfish from a creek in just one month last October. Damn. Well, they need to stop doing that thing at the, uh, at the, state fairs and stuff where you throw the ping pong ball to land well we probably need to stop keeping goldfish as pets yeah if you if you don't have the space i think most i didn't know until today where it's like oh you're not supposed to put them in a bowl so that's Mm -hmm. yeah i mean if you have access to a nice aquarium you had a, a goldfish once and it died right away, and we replaced it, and it died, and we said, enough of this. Yeah, and I was fine with it. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. a big yeah. uh, fish person. Oh, um, The score, it was only mm-hmm. 23 minutes of music in the oh, two-hour wow. film, but it's only 23 minutes. And he only had 10 days to do it because another guy did a score, and they hated it so much. They're like, Goldsmith, get in here. You're in. You got 10 days. And he's like, I'll nail it. And he did. I have the production designers because you all shouted them out. I put their oh, names: Richard and Anthea si- Silbert. Well done, the Silberts. Mm-hmm. Well done. I think because you have to remember when you're watching a film, there are a few things that you'll catch in the background where it's like, oh, that refrigerator's of the '70s, and mm-hmm. but like, like me, I'm not gonna get that because no. it's it's 2021 so it all fits with me but that's why period pieces are it's tough to do because you have to recreate everything you gotta get the cars you gotta get the outfits and stuff i did wonder about the linoleum in ida's kitchen it looked a little too modern to me well i don't i don't know i don't know much about linoleum and then my final good reheatable is and this is this is a good reheatable only in that it ages well, not in that it's a virtuously good reheatable. 
bad guys getting away with it. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, it's, and I thought it was very interesting that this came out in the 70s because we mentioned the country had gone through Vietnam, country had gone through um, to the tumultuous 60s, the Nixon. So, I mean, the it's easy for us surviving the last four years to forget how just uh, kind of for the country soul-shattering mm-hmm. Nixon resigning was. And that having, like, that's the beginning of this, the crumble of trusting institutions. And that's kind of how we find ourselves in the situation that we find ourselves in now of not who do we believe. Exactly. And so I just thought that that was just very interesting and and just Mm -hmm. how it resonated with the times. And then at the end, it's like, it's not a happy ending. So we're on that later. We are two quotables. I mean, we've already said. Yes, yeah. we have. She's sister my sister. Daughter. Sister daughter. Sister daughter. She's my sister and my daughter. Oh, oh. just how. Oh. Oh. oh, love that they went there, though. Um, <laughs> Giddies, and he said, you're even dumber than you think I think you are. Oh, that's a good one. The amount of times I think that on a daily basis. Yes. <laughs> that might be. Then you know what? I got to remember to put that in my uh, quote of the year. Yeah, you need pile. to highlight that one so you remember to come back to it. I mean, depression is for white people. I still say it's going to be so. Yeah. I have another one. But this that. beats Sierra Madre. You're so dumb. There's nothing to compare you with. Okay. okay. Um politicians ugly buildings and whores all get respectable if they last long enough yeah 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 um and then but mrs moray i goddamn near lost my nose and i like it i like breathing through it and i still think you're hiding something mm-hmm. if only i could breathe through mine all the time I don't know how. And you got it fixed, allegedly? Well, evidently, that's a situation that needs to be revisited frequently, and I'm never revisiting it again. Yeah. I have uh, Mrs. Mulray. I kept waiting for it to be Mulvaney. Okay, Mulray says, I don't get tough with anyone my lawyer does. To tell the truth, I lied a little. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great one. And um, are you alone? Is it everyone? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Those are mine. I have down the hatch. (laughs) Of course you do. Because I like that one. I said down the hatch. Um, I cut myself shaving. Cut his it's his nose. Oh, yeah. Oh, and like Batini says, only when I breathe. And then when somebody asked him, what did you do in Chinatown? And he said, as little as possible. So, oh. And, you know, the famous. She's my sister and my daughter. Mm-hmm. That took a turn. It just, it just, the movie just takes a turn. It's just like, it, What? Yeah, and you're not expecting that turn right there. No, but when you watch it 
the second time, any time that they bring up her father, she starts. She does start Woo! stuttering. Woo! And, yeah. yeah. Lighting two cigarettes and yeah, yeah, she kind of loses it. Ugh. Ugh. Any others? No, there's no? so many. Yeah. Okay, LVP. I already said mine. The whole power of cast moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, Noah Cross is as LVP as yeah. He can get. Well, shit, that's true. Yeah, he yeah that's his pretty daughter. That's pretty bad. And then hired because the, remember, keep in mind when he had Jake come over to his house and fed him the fish. Um, how he was like, oh, now I'm going to put you on retainer to go find the mistress because mm-hmm. he wanted the daughter. And mm-hmm. at the very end, the confrontation, he's like, she's mine too. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, this woman who is her mother and her sister because this man who is her father raped her when she was 15. And now this woman is the same. Her daughter. I mean, and who's going to end up being the LVP by accident is the poor daughter. Like, all I kept thinking about was the life she's going to live. Well, she, that is turns my up in the, she turns up in the sequel. There's Which a sequel? Yes. yes. There's a so Aaron, watch the sequel. Yeah, Let me do my LVP before you nuggets. go on. Yeah, I'll tell you about it in Tasty okay. Nuggets. Because my LVP is the fact that Noah Cross gets his second daughter. He he yeah. gets her right when he wants her. She's right. I, and all because, well, you know what? I See, but I don't want to blame the victim. But I will say, I do wish that Evelyn was a better shot. You know? Yeah. I yeah. the man standing right in front of you, but you know, that's that's walking down the, the victim blaming. So I exactly. definitely don't want to do that. Just and just truth be told, wish. a handgun could not have shot Evelyn at that distance. But we'll move on to MVP. What is my MVP? Oh, you oh. mean at the end? Yeah. That it oh, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, that was some rifle shit. Yeah. Oh, good point. My MVP was the ending. I loved it. And I loved that they didn't do a happy ending. And apparently there was there was an alternate ending. No, no, Teeny. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Robert Town, the original ending did not get shot. They filmed on right. film. Yeah. The, yes. Go but ahead. what was it? No, I don't know oh. what it was. I didn't research okay, that. I just knew it, it wasn't it. this wasn't supposed to be the ending, but I'm but I heard that the the what the ending was supposed to be was like a little bit more bittersweet. But she got away. I'm looking for it because, okay, the original ending: Evelyn and the daughter get away, and Noah is killed, and Jack is made to be the fall guy or the patsy. No, I don't like that. Yeah. I like the way they yeah. did it. Because yeah, that it was not too. everything is a happy ending. It was exactly. Roman Polanski who was like had all his baggage and his. Mm-hmm. Uh, his yeah, I, I feel like that had probably had a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he he and I forget where it is, but he wanted it to definitely be, um, definitely more cynical and how um looking um just how like because the people get away with it like the yeah. noah crosses of the world get away with it mm-hmm. 
And it's one of those things where even Robert Town, the writer of the screenplay, is like, no, like he he did it. And so Roman Polanski rewrote it the night before, the day before, like very early when they were uh, late, when they were shooting it, just rewrote it. And there you have it. Oh, well, I approve. Yeah. Yeah. Your MVP, Aaron? I had honorable mention. I just wanted to shout out James Wong and Beulah Kowal. Because, like, like, the butler character and the maid, they're holding him down. Like, especially the butler, he doesn't really have a big part in this, but he's the one that obviously is trustworthy enough for Evelyn to, um, you know, hide the daughter. And then when they need a place to kind of set their uh, planned escape, he's like, oh, take him to the house in Chinatown. And of course he's, you know, and he even knows what the situation is. So he's, you know, stepping in to help. And, but just in the movie, it's just how, you know, he's just a, subordinate character uh-huh. and stuff mm-hmm. but then in real life when you find out what these two actor actors did and how they were just down for their community and just so vibrant it's like why couldn't they have just been a lead in a film you know just again of what we've missed because we had to have this white supremacy being upheld you know um but so then my real mvp is I put collaboration mm. because this film it took there was so much fighting that happened between it and that that there are all these things happening with it and working with it and then just and then you sprinkle on a bit of luck and you get this classic um but everybody it's very easy to be like oh Roman Polanski raped a 13 year old woman so that's it. He's canceled. Yeah. We can't do this film. But that's he's not the only person that worked on this film. You know, mm-hmm. you have right. Robert right. Brown who wrote the script. You have um, the composer. You have Alonzo and the cinematographer, the editor. And a lot of that stuff is what made the movie what it exactly. is. Exactly. You also have um, Robert Evans, who is the producer. He so Polanski wanted to hire the director of photography, William A. Fracker, who shot Rosemary's Baby, and Robert Evans had enough uh, aware of the situation enough to be like, ah, no, because those two are tight, and there was so much kind of people pulling and, and, you know, the power struggles and stuff that happened with a whole bunch of creative people, and everybody has their opinion of what they want it to be. And so Robert Townsend or Robert Evans said, No, you know, you didn't consult me on this. No, I'm vetoing that. And so that's what they ended up getting Alonzo as the director of photography. And then Polanski changing the ending. Um, mm-hmm. And then he, in addition to that, he also reordered the film so that it was more so that the audience was walking the same path that Jack Nicholson's character was walking. Mm-hmm. I liked that. Also, the narration, there was narration in this, um, but Polanski cut it out. And in the sequel, there is narration. And you're just like, all right, you know, Polanski. Okay. You know, hey, broken clock. Right? Twice a day. (laughs) 
You know, you could be a horrible, despicable human being, but you can direct a film. Yeah, you know what you're talking about. So that's why it's it's hard to. Um, you can't cancel the whole film. Yeah, because one of the major characters fucked up big time. Mm-hmm. Well, my MVP is. <clears throat> A convertible in Los Angeles. Oh. oh. Soon. Someday. So lovely. And you just get that sun that comes down. Mm. And, and that is something. Robert Town, who wrote the script, he was uh, born and bred Angelino, and he loved the city. He's still alive, I believe. Sorry. I'm talking about him like he's dead. <laughs> but... Just the you you can kind of just it, that comes across, and I think mm-hmm. that's one of the interesting things with the collaboration is that you have people like Robert Evans and Robert Town and very LA, and then you get this um, European director who's kind of then can look at the situation from a different perspective and can and that's how you get the endings and the reorderings. But yeah, just that there's nothing like the light in Southern California. It's just different. It is. Okay, so we are to recasting. Uh, I didn't do one. I got you guys. I did one cast. Okay, so all right. I did Jake, Evelyn, and Noah. So for Perfect. Jake, it's hard because there really isn't a Jack Nicholson nowadays. That's exactly you know? what I was thinking. Because he's he's attractive, but he's not unbelievably he's not gorgeous. attractive. He's no. not gorgeous. He's got a receding hairline, fastly receding, getting out of town. Quickly. It's like anybody who's not gorgeous is, has got to be a comedian. Yes, now. If you don't have, like, six-pack abs and you don't look like Ryan Reynolds, then mm-hmm. you're out. But there is something to that that essence that then yes, the, essence. the looks yes. I mean, that, and that's how you get your humphrey brogarts if you're looking right. at a picture like this guy and then you watch him you're like oh they just got that mm-hmm. that, that, that certain i don't know what so it's hard okay i went with my jake don Cheadle. i love Don. oh Cheadle. yeah he would be good because mm-hmm, you need somebody who is just, and can also you would believe would get would get wrapped up in yep. the piece, but and yep. would get down and then would you know would be like tough and stuff. My Evelyn, I went with Ruth Nega. <gasps> I love Ruth Nega because I I think she's great too, and I'm like mm-hmm. oh that would be nice. And then for my Noah, I went with Robert Duvall. Of course, yeah. Okay. Because you just need that gravitas, but then you also need somebody who you would be like, oh my gosh! Yeah. He's he's the epitome of evil! Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we are to Tasty Nuggets. You've already said how in 1937 there was not a Chinatown because... Union Station was built where Chinatown was, and then it wasn't until 1938 where it was relocated a couple blocks up. 
Oh, I so didn't even know that. Oh, 1937, there, was, there wasn't there was even a Chinatown. Cause, so Chinatown 1 had been like, oh, oops, you all have to get out. And so yeah. they, it, they were like, where are we going now? Yeah, and it hadn't been established until 1938. Wow. Hmm. Jack Nicholson was in every scene of this movie. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's... Because uh, it's, it goes back to the thing that Teeny was saying about the point of view. This is all his yes. point of view. Yes. Okay. It had been four years since the murder of Sharon Tate, and he didn't, Roman Pulaski didn't know if he wanted to come back to Hollywood, but he did it for this. Um, it was the final U.S. film made by Roman Pulaski because, you oh. know, there was an arrest warrant out for him. Well, you know that like the the whole um the whole sordid affair oh wait, wait the rape took place at Jack Nicholson's um like home domicile he wasn't there he was on a ski trip with Angelica Houston at the time yeah he and had just, a, they had just started dating yeah and there's a story where like because the whole thing that you can read about it but basically Roman Polanski like this woman's mother not a victim blame but like should I like her mom skills or uh, 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 she saw she saw she saw money and and so Polanski uh got this 13 year old girl because he wanted to to shoot photographs with her a photo shoot Mm. the mom brought her um and then I like at one point like Angelica Houston is there like she picks up on a vibe and she's just like you know, like knocking on the door, like, "Hey, are you okay? Hey, are you okay?" And Polanski's like, "Yeah, she's fine. Of course, it's, it's fine." So it's this whole. Th- I'm sure that Angelica Houston has like, like ah, I knew, you know, that exactly. thing. Like I knew that something wasn't right. And then like for like it's at Jack Nicholson's place, and who mm. even knows? Like it's just mm. it's, it's all just, wrong. It's just all like any way there for me. Because listeners of this know, I like to look at things from every possible, like, oh, what what about from their point of view? What about from their point of view? And the thing that comes down to me is he was in his 40s and she was 13. Right. There's okay. nothing, nothing. There's no, oh, well, she was mature for it. It's like she's 13. And mm-hmm. the thing is, he knew that she was 13. Mm-hmm. So there isn't the, oh, I didn't know bullshit about that. So... Okay, other Evelyns who were considered when Allie McGraw had to be scrapped because she left due to, for Steve McQueen, they thought of Jane Fonda. Yes, mm-hmm. Jane Fonda would have been, she would have been mm-hmm. great in this role. They also thought of Julie Christie, uh, Dr. She's a She's a French actress, so mm-hmm. we haven't really done that, right? Isn't she? She might be French. Uh, she's she's not American. Oh, okay. Um, but she was big time, like in that time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because Doctor Zhivago like, was oh, so Christmas. big. Yeah. Um, she We're gonna have British, to do that she? at some point. Yeah, it's gonna. It might have to be a two a two weeker. Like yeah. um, yeah, like Titanic was. This, according to Entertainment Weekly, this is the fourth greatest film ever made. Wow, wow. what's the first three? I don't, I couldn't find that. Okay. Citizen Kane, Godfather, 
Godfather Part Two. <laughs> Maybe this. I- I'm hoping that it's not gone with the wind up there. <laughs> wow. I will burn this place down. So those are mine. Other tasty nuggets. I thought I had one, but you know what? It's not coming to me. All right. Maybe it will jog your mind, would I say. Um, so this is considered a neo-noir mystery oh, film. This is neo-noir. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I also, I liked how it definitely had the noir vibe to it, but it didn't have the dark seediness because most of them what were they were in black and white and stuff and this was more like creating the noir sensibility with mm-hmm. in the sunlight which I thought was interesting and other people as well uh, this had 11 Oscar nominations and it won for best original screenplay okay it is AFI's number two in top 10 mystery films from 2008 when that list came out What's number one? I don't know. Okay. Sorry. I'll check it out on my own. Okay. There wasn't a link to click. Yeah, I just wrote it down. Oh, okay. Okay. So here you go, Teeny. In 1990, the sequel came out, and it was called okay. The Two Jakes. It's available- I did hear you. it was originally supposed to be a trilogy. It It, it is. It the is. Two Jakes is available to watch on Amazon Prime right now. Okay. It came out in 1990. Now, Robert Town is credited as the screenwriter. And this movie uh, originally was going to be shot in 1985. They ran into so many troubles with it. And then Robert Town, uh, he couldn't really figure out the script and was having trouble writing it. And so then Jack Nicholson stepped in. And at one point, Robert Evans, who was the producer, was going to play the the lead role opposite Jack Nicholson but then everybody was like oh yeah my man can't act so then (laughs) there was just a whole bunch of stuff happened Paramount was um I think this is kind of what ended up getting Robert Evans thrown out of Paramount because he was just well no I guess he had been out by then but he so, so it, there was it was just a cluster cuss of horrible things coming on, and then finally Jack Nicholson he decided that he was going to direct it. So this hmm. is the only film Jack Nicholson has ever directed. Oh my god! Oh wow! It is. I recommend watching it, but know that it is. On some ways, it's highly entertaining like if you enjoy the film noir thing. But if you are looking for that Chinatown um, just goodness, ain't like, it. for lack of a better word, it's not it. It's weird. The tone of the film is weird. It There are some things that made me laugh out loud. Jack, Jay, Jake gets blown up, literally uh-uh. blown up very oh. early in the film. Oh. you laughing a good 10 minutes. It's just uh, Madeline Stowe is doing so, a wild performance. Like she just comes in like a wrecking ball off the top rope at the beginning of the hmm. film. I like this, like Chinatown. It's very much a wait, what is going on kind of thing. Harvey Keitel's in it. It's 
but it it is it is a true sequel because it it takes place ten years after when it happened. So that'd be forty seven. Yeah, so it takes place in forty seven. Uh huh. That's my math. Look at that math. And also, you know, because Polanski wasn't around, so he, you know, that's also how the the problems with the script came in. When the two Jakes came out, it was not received well. So, like Tini said, mm-hmm. it was going to be part of a trilogy, um, but so there was water in the first one. The second one has to do with oil. And the third one was going to be land. And the third one that never got made was going to, it was going to take place in 1968 and it was going to be called Giddies versus Giddies. Oh. Yeah. Because I think he then ends up marrying the daughter, Evelyn's daughter. Uh, because Evelyn's daughter okay. does show up in the sequel. Oh, okay. And I read it. I figured it out off the jump. I was just like, oh, that's... But then they, they kind of keep that rolling along. It's so was it not Rodwell? Because it was still, like, at this point, it was associated with Roman Polanski and, like, that movie was? So, no, it or was it just bad? It wasn't received well because it was all over the place. Okay. It... I don't want to say that it's bad. It's just what because I I did enjoy watching it because I was just like this is wild. What is going on? It it's just not Chinatown, but it is the character and it's, it's like, like a whole different movie. Characters. But yeah, there's like weird comedy that gets sprinkled in to the two Jakes that is definitely not in Chinatown. So it is a Oh, it's just a very interesting movie. Uh, That's the only way I could, like, I was just like, this is wild. What is, who, yeah, what? And I, but it makes me so giddy because I'm so happy that they made it because you're like, what the fuck? What year did it come out? 1990. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, it's like, a few good men era yeah jack nicholson just he's like let me go take my hand at this try it out and he does some interesting things but there's just it it's interesting because you know how we talk about the collaboration and what roman polanski did because there's narration in this film and i'm like oh you know what i think polanski was right with the no narration because the narration it i it the narration makes it feel like the the Chandler, the you know, like the those noir films with the uh, uh, Raymond Chandler, and the, yeah, because mm, he's the yeah. way that he's talking and stuff, and so they kind of it it just kind of cheapens it, and I liked how it's just an interesting compare and contrast of like, oh, this is what happens when you don't have, uh, you know, like maybe it's like, oh, look at. This is what Polanski can do. Too bad right. he's attracted to girls. Or a true director. I mean, Jack, but Nich- Jack Nicholson ha- did some interesting things where I'm like, oh, that's not, you know, that's not bad. I, I kind of like it. But it's that collaboration of somebody else. And al- it's yeah. also the tone, though, is, is also just, it's just wild. It's, okay. it's weird. Oh. 
it's still me. Sorry. It's still you. Um, okay. I have in 2005, because I'm reading this book called The Whole Equation by David Thompson. And he says in 1971, Robert Town's wife bought Carrie McWilliams's book, Southern California Country. And this was also around the same time that he saw a magazine photographer recreate late 30s mood in the look of Raymond Chandler novels. And that's how oh. Town created it. And this was actually, even though he had done other work you know, as a script doctor, this was actually his first produced script. And he won the Oscar for it. Wow. And so that could also read into Bennett's, okay, well, no pressure. Your first film yeah. got an Oscar. Now write the sequel. Yeah. And he's like, Neh. yeah. You know, and I'm also sure that by then he knew that the ending was better and that Roman Polanski was the one that came up with it. And he knew Polanski couldn't be involved in this, in the second one. So that, you know, I'm sure that fed into it. Um, Robert Townsend wrote the screenplay with Jack Nicholson in mind because up until like before then, nobody hit was writing Jack Nicholson leading uh -huh, man part. Uh -huh. Um, okay. I found this super interesting. So our younger viewers may know Faye Dunaway as one half of the presenters along with Warren Beatty in yeah. the infamous... Oscar, La La Land, La La Land mm -hmm. Moonlight. So that was Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty. Okay. Now, Faye Dunaway and Roman Polanski did not get along. That was what it was. That jogged all. my memory. Mm -hmm. So there's a scene where I think they're at the Brown Derby, and she has it's the Marcel style, which was those waves and how yes. it's plastered yes. into the hair. And she had a hair that was sticking out of place. And Roman Polanski just went over and plucked it out. <gasps> and Faye oh, Dunaway I... was like, don't you ever do that sort of thing to me again. And Dunaway remembered howling before she raced back to her trailer in tears. But then as Polanski remembered it as, quote, I just don't believe it. Or... Then I guess this is then Polanski's point of view was that then Faye Dunaway was like, I just don't believe it. That motherfucker pulled out my hair. And so she, you know, of was like, what the fuck? And runs off and Polanski's, you know, like, I'm the director here. And it took a summit meeting with Robert Evans in his Paramount office before Faye Dunaway would return to work. And then Polanski fanned the incident in the press as the perfect example of American star histronics. Or uh, this guy yeah. really sucks. Yeah. And but so wait a minute. Okay, go ahead. Faye Dunaway insisted that her hair wasn't the point. She was like, it's not the hair, she said. Quote, it was the incessant cruelty that I felt, the constant sarcasm, the never-ending need to humiliate me. Mm. So, and you, like, find out, you know, like, he drugged a 13-year-old yeah. And girl. then she threw, there was, he was so mean to her, she threw the cup of pee at him. I didn't even, I just, uh, so do you have more on that? Because 
I yes. just kind of read in passing that, that that had happened. But I just thought it was interesting because I remember hearing about how Faye Dunaway, and especially like later on she went to play Mommy Dearest, but Faye Dunaway had a reputation of being, I guess you would say, difficult. And it's I one think of this those is why, though. Things yeah. where you, you look back at it and you're like, I don't yeah. think it's not wrong. Like that. This is just the way. Well, that but the, wait, there's something more. So oh. she was waiting in a car. I guess it was maybe at the end. I don't know when, but she said she wanted to use the facilities, but Polanski told her to stay put. And afterwards, as he talked to her through a car window, I'm sure. Now this made it seem like she, you know, he just said no. I'm sure there was a lot more that went into this. And she threw a cupful of liquid into his face, which was pee-pee. And he said, you C-word, that's piss. Ooh. And she said, yes, you little putts. Well, I read before that that on this set, she wouldn't flush her own toilet. Oh. She would do her business, and then an assistant would have to come in and flush her toilet. Oh. So it's one of so, like, yeah, Faye Dunaway could be a, a a diva, but she could also have been in Hollywood long enough to know a creep when she sees one. Yeah, yeah. true, true. Because he wouldn't let her pee, and then they gave her a cup. Here, pee in this, which we know doesn't work that well. And then she goes, I don't blame her for throwing her pee in his face but when she asked for a potty break. Also, wasn't Mia Farrow, didn't Mia Farrow have issues during the the filming of Rosemary's, Rosemary's Baby. Baby. Yeah. Like, I just think that he, he, I mean, we kind of mentioned it when we were doing um, Titanic about how directors can be very tyrannical and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, but, I mean, knowing what we know now, now about Polanski, mm -hmm. I think we're all like, good for you, Faye mm -hmm. Dunaway. Even at yeah. the time, it's that thing of like, well, no, she's out of order too, but it's like, you know what? He, yeah, yeah, it's that, it's just that thing. Like, people can be, people can be wrong and people can be right. People contain multitudes. Whew. But I mean, you can't fuck 13 year old girls. I'm no, sorry. <laughs> you cannot. Um, okay. So to wrap up, um, after several takes that didn't work in that famous scene, she's my sister, she's like, Faye Dunaway gave permission to Jack to really slap her. Oh. She was just like, this, this isn't working. Just do it. Just do it. And so, and like, that's what ends up in the movie. And he felt mm. really guilty about it. But, you know, Faye Dunaway took the agency and was like, no, well, you need to do gotta this. We got to make this work. We got to yeah. make this. Um. And then also Jack Nicholson, he had just started dating in real life Angelica Houston, who is the daughter of John Houston. So that scene where they're meeting and John Houston asks oh. Mr. Gettys, are you sleeping with my daughter? Ah! Awkward. Kind of. <laughs> and so... Finally, in 2019, it was reported that David Fincher himself, Fight Club, Gone Girl, one of the greatest living filmmakers right now, is going to produce a sequel series about the start of Jay Giddy starting his agency. 
Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And then in 2020, it was announced in August of 2020. I mean, this is all reported. Things fall apart all the time. But Ben Affleck was going to write and direct a film about the making of Chinatown based on the nonfiction book, The Goodbye, The Big Goodbye, Chinatown and the Last Years of Hollywood. Huh. So I I hope that he he might be distracted now. I'm a touch distracted. Who, who knows? But it was announced last August. But that does seem very interesting. Mm-hmm. So you those know, are the tasty nuggets. What I did enjoy about um what was the uh George Clooney movie? Hey Hail Caesar. What I did enjoy about that, because it was the 30s Hollywood, was the sepia tone look to the whole film, because mm-hmm. it was like vintage. Because um, that's what I think of when I, of old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, next week, we are doing a 1976 film. Well, I think okay. we should say next time. So we... Next time, it won't be next be week. Like three weeks. Yeah, we don't know when, but just the next time that we have it. This is We are we are going on hiatus. And yes. we will be back. And there is a film coming. It was made in 1976. 1976. Uh-huh. The Poseidon Adventure. It has it has two sequels as this was supposed to have. The Tower of Inferno. What did you say, Christy? <laughs> Star Wars. It is what? not. Okay. It has a lot of sequels. There's yeah, probably one. It, does, it did. It had many sequels. Oh, you said that it, it does have two sequels? It does mm. indeed. 1976. Well, we already did Rocky. It has two One sequels. of Aaron's favorite movies. One of my favorite It is the of end of summer. One of my favorite movies. It's about summer. It's not Jaws. We've already done that. You know, it's the end of summer. The end of baseball season. A league of their own. The Bad News Bears. (laughs) With Walter Matthau. (laughs) Oh, man. And and what was that kid? He's the coolest kid ever. Oh, Teeny, get ready for the coolest kid ever. What was his? I forget what his name is, but he was just the he was the badass kid. Oh my god! Uh, well, it has Tatum O'Neill as a as a young girl, young young girl, and Walter Walter Matthau is Butterfield Butterworth Butter something. Yeah, and uh, the guy that he always he went on he was like in a movie with Kate Winslet and he played like a pedophile or something like Jack. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. he, he and he rode up in a, on a motorcycle and stuff. And he's yes. just a badass. Yes, seems like Jackie or Slater or something. Jackie something, and so I thought the end of summer, the end of baseball season, uh, end with a comedy from the seventies. So I googled it, and one of the facts came up of throughout the scene, Buttermaker is seen drinking seven different kinds of beer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Budweiser, Mickey's, Miller, Schlitz, Coors, PBR, and Lucky. I'm in. Buttermaker. Buttermaker yeah, drinks the entire film. 
And they they remade it. Wasn't Billy Bob Thornton in the remake? So oh, just, probably. It, this is but, the original. They, they defanged it because the seventies are so wild. <laughs> and it's it's an hour and forty two minutes, I think. So you're welcome all the way around. I like that. that. Bears. That is that. It's yeah, a that fun is one. A it's a fun one. It's gonna the reheatables on that are gonna be interesting. Yes, they will. What's age? Yeah, yeah. Okay, listeners, we hope you enjoyed Chinatown. And it's a classic. I recommend it. Mm-hmm. The next time we are together, we will be talking bad news bears. What's our Instagram? Maybe we'll have content in the coming weeks. Mm, at Gone with the Bushes. At Gone with the Bushes. Because we will be together with the bushes. (laughs) Okay, listeners. Bye. Bye.